Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Neil Howard, here on Health Professional Radio. Thank you for joining us again. In this segment, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Hernan Bazan. He's joining us here as CEO and co-founder of South Rampart Pharma. It's a clinical stage life science company. He's going to talk about how the company aims to advance the safe treatment of pain by developing new small molecule non-opioid solutions that can overcome many of the risks that are associated with the current pain medications like liver and kidney toxicity. Welcome to Health Professional Radio, Dr. Bazan. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, how you came to be co-founder of South Rampart Pharma. Well, I, um, I am a practicing academic vascular surgeon. Uh, I take care of patients with problems with their vessels, and, and I've, I've done quite a bit of research over the years. And uh, in the end of 2016, I started a venture with my father, who was the head of the Neuroscience Center at the medical school in the audience. Uh, and a collaboration uh, was formed with a, with a chemist in Spain. <clears throat> Around that time, and we were we were aiming to develop small molecules that would be safer for the treatment of pain in patients, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, that have problems with current medicines because they may have predispositions of liver injury from current medicines or kidney injury from current medicines. They don't see the abuse from the opioid epidemic. So is there an unmet need in, in treatments for pain? I mean, obviously, pain doesn't go away. We're, we're having injuries, surgeries, all kinds of things. But is there an unmet need for pain treatment? And has there always actually been an unmet need now in light of the opioid epidemic, what we found out? That's actually a really important question. Uh, absolutely. So not, in, not only because of the opioid epidemic that we all know about in the United States, in addition to that, there really has been no new pain medicine that's been introduced into the market in the past 50-plus years. So what we currently have, which is acetaminophen or Tylenol, as it's known in the U.S., or Panadol in, the, in most of the world, or paracetamol, um, <clears throat> that, that came to be in the 1950s, and, and, and unfortunately, the big risk of that is liver toxicity with its misuse or reuse. And then in the 60s and 70s, very good medicines, the non-steroidal, the NSAIDs were introduced. Uh, unfortunately, they have significant risk with their overuse of kidney toxicity. And I've actually had some patients go on dialysis because of their overuse, but they've had shoulder injuries or some other orthopedic injury. Or in patients with some cardiovascular disease, the blood pressure can be elevated. Um, and, the, and then there's also the big issue in the elderly with gastrointestinal stomach ulceration, gastritis, erosion. Mm-hmm. And the third big need is really because of the opioid misuse and abuse from the um, that started really in the late 90s, mid 90s, and has really unfortunately continued to increase, especially with the last uh, COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, so there's really a, a large void for the safer treatment of pain that avoids the abuse of opioids, the liver toxicity of acetaminophen and the kidney and cardiovascular and gastrointestinal and non-steroidals. Now, continuing a, a, a brief look into the pandemic, how did the pandemic and the opioid epidemic tie into your development? I mean, lots of people just stopped going to the doctor for pain, for all kinds of things out of fear of infection. But now that things have started to open up again to some extent, are people en masse coming back for pain meds? Uh, and has that tied into your development at all? Not, not really into our development. We, we've had a, 
a steady course <coughs> since we began, and as you can imagine, it's a it's really a quite a marathon on sprint. So the the way to develop <coughs> a new asset is really to a new therapeutic candidate. It's really to be very thoughtful and thorough, and and to be uh, in good communication with the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, throughout the process, and to do the right tests to make sure that it is safe. And what I mean by that is to do things like what are called genotoxicity studies, the animal GLP, the laboratory practice studies, toxicity studies, uh, to make sure that it's stable, that it can be synthesized, that a formulation can be done that is stable, and then to test it, that it to show that it is safe. And that's where we are now, and that it can be absorbed <coughs> in a good pattern. And so uh, the you know, the, the current issues in the healthcare systems are, are pretty complex, and in, and in particular, we won't get into that too much. The, issue, the big issue is really staffing now. Uh, not only that people are going back to the physicians for, say, routine screenings like colon cancer screening or breast cancer screening, the challenge is, uh, I'll just tell you as a practical physician and surgeon, there's just also the staffing shortages. And that, I think, uh, it's an issue for as people are trying to go back into the healthcare system, getting timely uh, and, and prompt. Uh, uh, care they need. But for the, the, the safer treatment of pain to develop a new therapeutic candidate, it's a long process that uh, has to be focused and make sure that it is well documented, that it is done, that it is truly safe, and, uh, and that then uh, a rational development can, can be done. How does your, your lead program, SRP3D, uh, work, and um, how is it different yeah. from existing treatments for pain? unique opportunity here. So it's, it is a small molecule. So it's not a biologic or antibody, um, for example, uh, uh, or cell therapy as what's currently available for a lot of cancers or in the oncology space. Uh, it's a small molecule. And the way we designed it is we designed it in a rational way so that it would not generate uh, a toxic metabolite that's pretty well known to occur with acetaminophen overuse with high doses of acetaminophen or Tylenol. And in fact, we've been able to demonstrate that that metabolite does not form. And because that metabolite doesn't form, that metabolite is called MAPQ, M-A-P-Q-I. Because it doesn't form, it's not liver toxic. And then there's a second mechanism of action by which we know it doesn't uh, cause liver toxicity, and that's disruption of hepatotech junctions. These hepatotech junctions have been uh, recently demonstrated by another group to be a, a reason for liver toxicity from uh, acetaminophen overuse. And so these are the two MOAs or mechanisms of action by which it is not liver toxic. Moreover, we know how it works in the brain uh, by the generation of a certain uh, metabolite in the pain sensing area of the brain called the uh, periaqueductal brain area. And, uh, and more recently, we've done some really elaborate single cell genomics uh, studies to demonstrate what the, at the single cell level what the RNA expression is. And we can we have a pretty good idea how it works actually to reduce pain similar to acetaminophen, and that's important because that will de-risk when we go into efficacy trials that uh, hopefully will actually be efficacious. So, as far as the types of pain that it treats and your projected timeline for further clinical development, and then if you would give us a website where we can learn more. Sure. Well, we um, we have strategies to test the first uh, phase two a trial in, uh, in a third molar attraction in a wisdom tooth pull. And the reason for that is because it's a very good model for acute pain. It's very short. 
they're, they're done in young, healthy uh, individuals without many comorbidities. So it's a very clean study to do a pain trial in where there's a good signal-to-noise ratio. And there's low variability, there's a high enrollment rate. And uh, so it's a very good acute pain model. And, and what we've learned from the phase one trial are what are in the, with the PK and PD, the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics, that it is rapidly absorbed and then has a good distribution. So uh, the, the, it's, the way it's absorbed and distributed, uh, I think we think it would be a very good match for such an acute pain model. Um, with extended release formulations, they also may be helpful for chronic pain, uh, which is a large problem in the United States. Over 50 million Americans have chronic pain. And then uh, we also have strategies for making an intravenous stimulation for acute postoperative pain, both that pain and EO after surgeries, after laparotomies or orthopedic surgeries or gynecological surgeries. Um, the website where a lot of this is described is southrampartpharma.com. And uh, we have there a description, obviously, of the team and, and, and the approach forward. And we also have a, about a minute and a half uh, 3D video animation that describes a little more of the mechanisms and the approach. Doctor, I appreciate you joining us here on Health Professional Radio this morning. Hopefully you will return and uh, give us some more information. Well, thanks for, for having uh, us and, uh, and, and good luck with your uh, program. You've been listening to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard. Audio copies of this program are available at hpr.fm and healthprofessionalradio.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen in, download at SoundCloud, and be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Health Professional Professional Radio.